Right. I thought I might just recap a little bit on last week. Um, normally when you do a recap, it's because you're trying to remind the people in the congregation of what you did last week, but I think a recap is possibly more for my benefit because I was present for most of the time, but not here, you know. So um, let's do a recap. So Mel, can we have that first slide? We, uh, this is what we finished with last week, and these are the... Uh, no, there's, a, there's another... Uh, this is the, the means by which the early church really had an impact and influenced their community. So in loving one another, they allowed people to observe the love of God. And I just... I, just, I know that's one of the, the qualities and the elements that, we, that we're beginning to do well. We're inviting people into our homes, into our small groups, and we have the... The, uh, the musical thing on a, on a Friday night that John Pringle puts together. And it's so good for, for folk who aren't church folk, who aren't followers of Jesus, to come in and actually see how we, how we live and see the value of community and how we love each other and how we care for each other. And that's a powerful thing in terms of influencing those around us. They served others, allowing people to receive the provision of God. And... There were some marvellous stories in, in Acts chapter 9. There's a story of Tabitha, who uh, she made coats for the poor, and they appreciated it so much that on her deathbed, people came around and wept because of the, the generosity of her, her serving way. And, and we do that pretty well, don't we? We serve others. We have lots of things happening in our community that we're a part of, serving others, which allows people to receive the provision of God. And the two I want to just kind of zone, zone in on this morning, uh, number three and four. Miracles allowed people to experience the power of God and what the people said in the New Testament allowed others to hear the words of God. So I want us this morning to look at the, the miraculous and how we can be involved in praying for people and also the words that we speak and the, and the way that what we say can influence the people around us. The people in the New Testament believed that the words of Jesus uh, were something that they could take hold of and, and, ring, and would ring true in their lives. Greater things would they do than he did. And they knew that the power of the Holy Spirit was upon them to be a conduit, not just a, a conduit that went through them, not just a pond in which um, the Holy Spirit re- resides. Their lives were recognised by the supernatural. I think we talked last Sunday about, I think there was 38 or 40 miracles in the book of Acts and all but one of them happened outside of what we would recognise as being the church congregation or, or Christians gathering together. So miracles happened in the marketplace. All of this and the words that they said were undergird, of course, foundational with uh, prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a great little story in the book of, tucked into the book of Kings, I think it's Second Kings chapter 7, but the, the story goes something like this. The, Elisha was the prophet at the time, and the city of Samaria was besieged by the Aramean army. And, of course, when a city is besieged, the people can't go outside to get food, or, and their water resource gets low, and they were starving. The people were at the point where they were beginning to actually, believe it or not, eat their children. And the king was so upset that, that he had asked for Elisha's head. And so it was very, very desperate. And the, the army of the Arameans that had surrounded the city had set up camp and they'd set up a big banquet table and there was this huge feast about to happen. 
And as this feast was about to happen one night outside the city by the enemy, there were four beggars sitting at the city gate. And they heard about, well, they could see this feast being set up. And so what they said to each other, they said, listen, if we stay here, we'll die. But if we go out there, there is a chance that if they are kind to us, they'll let us, let us have something to eat. And the worst comes to the worst, they'll kill us, which is going to happen anyway, we'll die. So they decided to go out to the, to the, to the Aramean camp and get into a feast. And as they got there, the, the, the Lord had made a, a kind of a sound of, of rushing chariots and an army on the move. And the, the enemy had heard the sound and thought it was all the kings, all the armies of Egypt and Syria coming to help the, the Israelites um, with, their, with their defeat. And so they, they took off and left this banquet. And so these four beggars had all they could ever want to eat. They just got into it and they really go from tent to tent, enjoying everything they could ever have. And all of a sudden, one of them came to their senses and said, listen, here we are gorging ourselves while there's a city back there that is starving. What we need to do is go back and tell them that there was some bread to eat, that there was a feast here. So this morning, we're talking about sharing our faith. and It's one of the aspects of this morning's talk. And on a very simple level, Sharing our faith really is just one beggar telling another beggar where they've found bread. And we've got to be careful that we just don't hold it to ourselves. It's something that we could just enjoy and, and, and we could gorge ourselves till we are so you know, obese, if you like, when God has called us as one beggar with the bread in his hand. None of us are exempt from being bread carriers telling another beggar where we found bread. We talked about uh, evangelism a little bit last week, but none of us are exempt from being bread carriers, from being light bearers, from being ambassadors. None of us are exempt from making disciples. I'm not sure if there's anything more exciting in the Christian life than to be walking with someone, talking with them, sharing your life with them, and over a period of time, seeing them, seeing their eyes open up and their heart begin to up, open up to the things of faith, and then begin to make a decision to follow Jesus. I don't know if there's anything much more exciting than that. In fact, I believe that that aspect of discipleship is an essential element to the Christian faith. And if you have never experienced that, I want to suggest that you are missing one of the greatest joys of your Christian life. I remember years ago, many years ago, a couple of things happened. Dad, dad, was, um, dad influenced me in some really good ways. He taught me how to fish. He taught me how to drive. Um, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. He taught me, he taught me how, to, how to build. But one thing Dad taught me that not many others could have is at an early age, he taught me a love for people who don't know Jesus. And he took me out from our kind of constrained church life and fairly kind of tight on what we did, to a group of people in, in Nainai who gathered from all different churches, and there were all these people there who weren't Christians. And the gospel was shared, and, and, stuff, and stuff happened, and, and friend, my friends became Christians. And at the same time, 
my youth group leader changed the environment of our youth group. Now, we had a lot of really good teaching. We had some fantastic things happen in our church. But our youth group leader changed the environment and he made it so that we could invite our non-church friends along to our youth group. And that just, it was radical in, in terms of what church was like. But I invited a couple of my friends along and they, actually, they became Christians. And so I found that the one, one thing that held me in the faith more than anything else was the fact that I had to walk through their early Christian life with them. And I actually became a discipler. And in doing so, not only it excited me, but it made me draw into God further because I had to give out and give out what I didn't always have. Do you understand? And so for me in my Christian, early Christian life, it was an essential part of me growing up was actually to have what God has put within me to be dispersed and, re- and, and lived out and worked out in the lives of others as well. So I want to encourage us. If you have never experienced the joy and the, the, I guess the privilege of walking with others in their faith, in their early faith, bringing them to Jesus, you need to, you need to get involved in that and, and just realise the e- extreme joy and the... And the um, the added benefit is being an essential ingredient to your, to your spiritual growth. So sharing your faith. This is not a, um, it's not a list of how-tos or, a, um, or the latest methodology or the key questions to ask. It's not a, sharing your faith is not learning a, a kind of a pre-sales pitch. And you, know, you can go onto the web when you get home and you can find a lot of questions that you can ask and the, the, the intros that you can use in order to talk to people about Jesus. I don't want to go there this morning. I'm a little bit cautious of things like tracts and pamphlets. I'm cautious of, I used to use the four spiritual laws, some of you may have heard of that, but I'm, I'm kind of cautious for several, on several levels. Firstly, um, things like that are very formulaic and it's, making, it's, it's hinting that the person's process to faith is kind of, if you if you understand this, if you accept this, if you believe this, and if you pray this, you become this. And the journey to faith with people is a lot different than that. It's not formulaic. It's not a methodology like that. Secondly, they're fraught with terminology and language that because of some cultural misunderstandings, they, they, can, they can be a problem. We talked about how um, people on the street today generally are not interested in church. But if you talk to them about God, they'll say, yeah, maybe. Uh, but if they want to talk about spirituality, yes, they're certainly interested. And so sometimes the phrases like God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but sin is separating you from God, sometimes those phrases are a barrier to people. God, God, God loves. You mean with everything that's happening in the world today, God loves? God loves me? Why can't he do something about everything else that's happening? And has a wonderful plan. <laughs> no one's going to tell me how to live. Sin? What's sin? We talked about it being a mistake rather than sin. And so we've got to be careful how we, how we use language that we find familiar that other people don't find familiar. Sometimes we've got to start on another level. Then there's the close the deal lines like, what will happen? What will happen if you don't receive Jesus Christ tonight? You know, we've heard, heard those sort of things. We're the primary driver for someone coming to faith is fear, and fear is not a good thing. I've been in meetings where, where um, a preacher has said, I've heard it many times, 
If you were died, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? And I would come out of the meeting, and I, I've, I've seen thinking, how come everybody dies at night? <laughs> and you know, I, I remember the Tony Campolo story where he he talks about how he was in a, um, a revival meeting, and the preacher finished off by saying. If you were to leave here tonight and cross the road and get knocked over by a bus, where would you spend eternity? And Tony Campolo tells the story and he says, he says, well, he said, it, it didn't make me receive Jesus, he said, but it made me look three times before I crossed the road. You know? <laughs> so fear is not a good driver. And, and thirdly, sometimes the, the tracks and the pamphlets that we use, they can be good helpers for us, but they can make an assumption about a person's journey. And often it's a personalised thing. It individualises our faith. And it talks about Jesus more than it talks about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is just the door. The door to a wide world, his world, his kingdom. And it's more than just me coming to faith. It's about a community. It's about, it's about what God has to offer and the whole history of the world and my place in it in the future and all that. So we've got to be careful about those sort of things. Anyway, several weeks ago, the eldership team were having a meeting and uh, we decided that uh, we were going to talk about evangelism, how to share our faith and, and that sort of thing. And so I, I, drew, I drew the short straw. And I got home and I, I said to God, I said, look, God, I, I know what it's like to share my faith, but I don't know how to talk about that. I know what I say, but I don't know what I say. I mean, I know what to talk about, but I don't know how to talk about what I talk about. Do you know what I mean? Does that... You think I'm going there, don't you? No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, so I sat in my study and I, I said, God, how do I, how do I do this? Because I didn't want it to be formulaic. I didn't want it to be a list of things that we should do and steps in the process, although we're going to look at that later on when we start talking about praying for people. But I want it to be something that, some principles that we could kind of work through together. And So I came up with something. Well, God said to me, you're a simple person. Let's make it one, two, three. I said, well, God, that's really simple. So Mel, we had one, two, yeah, that's right. But there is another one, Mel. Okay, so my, this is broadly what I, kind of, this is what works in me. This is how I operate when I want to share my faith. And so as we work through this together, maybe you could pick up on this as well. But there's one spirit, there's two worlds, and there's three stories. One spirit, the Holy Spirit is there to help you. The Holy Spirit has brought you and another person together for his glory. The Holy Spirit knows the other person better than you do. And the Holy Spirit wants to enable, equip, and empower you to say the right words, to, to just be the person that you need to be at this time. The Holy Spirit is invested in you all that is required to meet the, the process of, of working with this person and conversing with this person that, you are, that you're talking with. Acts 1 verse 8 says, You will receive power. When you receive power, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Isn't that right? The, the meaning of the word power there is a Greek word called dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. And it means that there is sufficient energy for the task at hand. Sufficient energy for the task at hand. So when, when you know that the Holy Spirit is guiding you and working with you and, and enabling and empowering you, there is enough energy there for the task at hand. 
All right, two worlds. Firstly, there is their world. Their world where that have, maybe they've, they've got issues, they've got problems, they've got disappointments, they've got pain, they've got anger, they've got frustration, there's hurt. But there's also potential, there's also possibilities, there's dreams, there's, there's desires that they have. And even though they may sense that they are separated from, you know, there's, there's pain and there's separation from God, they may not know that, but there is always a, a, a portion of the fingerprint of God on their lives. There is no matter who you are talking to and how distant they may appear from faith, there will always be something in their world that is the fingerprint of God, that is part of his DNA. It's lodged in there, created in his image. And no matter what their life is like, they carry a portion of that. So their world, they, they, even though they will fill their lives up with much stuff, there will be some, there will be some irony in that their life may also be a vacuum. It may be empty. It may be a void. And we know what Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in everyone's life that only God can fill. But there is also God's world. So there is their world, there is God's world. And that's a world that we know a little of, but they probably don't know much of at all. And somehow we've got to find where their world can interface with God's world. And God's world may be closed to them. They might not know much about it, but there will be windows. There will be openings into God's world that we need to find where they can feel as if there is a, a, a sense of, of being at ease with what is being discussed and being talked about. And that may be in a number of, a number of areas, but we need to find out where... Remember that the Holy Spirit is, is at work helping you to... Dis, to discern what is the, the openings in their world. Remember the story in John 4 of the woman at the well. When Jesus was talking to her and he was um, talking about her life and about, about the water and that the water he could give her, she would never, never be thirsty again. And then he begins to talk about her husband or her, the man she was living. And she said, well, I've had five. She, he said, oh, you've had five husbands and the, woman, the man you are living with at the moment is not your husband. He started to enter into her world, but then she came back and entered into his world as she opened up to that and began to, and began to reveal more of herself to him. The, the, it's the combining of two worlds and the interface of the person's world that you're talking to and the world that God has that will enable a link together so that there is a, a sense of, this can work for me. I can... You understand that? Where his world can actually make sense to my world. And your conversation at this point is centred not around church, but your conversation is centred around Jesus and his world. Jesus said that he was the door. The door to what? The door to the kingdom of heaven. And we've got a, there are many paths to that door. Many years ago, when when I was when I was growing up in, in Youth for Christ and with the church that I just mentioned before, it was common in those days for a preacher to. Some of you may have seen, you know, um, movies of Billy Graham and that sort of thing. We would fold his boulder, fold his Bible over, and you know, he'd, he'd preach Christ, and that was great. People came to faith 
when Billy Graham and others preached Christ. And I remember touring with the Certain Sounds and we would go around high schools and, and then do youth rallies and we would speak, say, from Luke 15 that talked about the prodigal son coming home to his father. We would preach Christ and young people would come to Jesus. And people came to Jesus because we preached Christ. They committed themselves to faith because of, we pre- because of the preaching of Christ. And then they got, they got enveloped in the community of the church. And then they committed themselves to some sort of ministry. Okay, So there was Christ, community and cause. But as times have changed, you may recall that in the 80s and maybe 90s that there, there was a real sense of community and people gathering together because of their love for one another. Cornonia, there was uh, the um, Alpha Course used to use the, the um, belong before you believe and there was a sense of coming together and being in community. And so it changed from Christ community cause to community Christ and then cause. Okay, I've noticed that in recent years, just in some of the conversations that I've been having, that there's been a shift again. And you may pick it up in some of the conversations that you have with people and that there's more of a sense now for people who aren't Christians to really be interested in things like injustice, okay, the cause. And I know young people who, I was talking to a woman the other day whose child, whose teenager is, is um, working in an orphanage and... In Mexico, she's not a Christian, but she just feels she needs to serve and she wants to contribute something to a good cause. I saw something on TV tonight, and as well watching it, there was a, a youth worker in South Auckland helping at-risk young people. And I said to Viv, I said, that guy's got to be a Christian. And as he went through the, through the, uh, the story, it was obvious he wasn't a Christian, but he was committing himself to a cause. I sat on a plane the other day, and we were going to Auckland, and next to a, a student who was studying law plus something like classics. And he talked about, he saw me, I was reading a book of Tom Wright's and he, and he looked at me and he says, we started a conversation, he said, I see you're a man of the cloth. <laughs> so, anyway, we put that right. So, so we started talking and then as we talked about faith, he just said he was, he was an atheist, but he started talking about the Pope. And he said, what do you think of the current Pope? Because he's, you know, he's, he's um, getting back to the roots of, of his faith in terms of you know, the um, underprivileged and the marginalised. And that captured this young guy, what the Pope was doing more than anything about what we would say is the church. And so I just, I, I sense there is a, there is a, a shift again from cause community Christ from community Christ cause to, to, to cause community Christ. And so what an opening for the gospel of the kingdom. When we face a generation today, when we, when we re, you know, I guess all of us are conversing with people today who want to give their lives to a cause that really matters. And that's an incredible opportunity for us as we carry the gospel of the kingdom. And I just get excited about that because of the way that young people, especially this generation, are committed to give themselves to a cause that is bigger than they are. There's three stories. You need to hear their story. It's not about you, it's about their journey. Not about you having to get your message out. It's about, as quickly as you can, it's about um, you listening to their story. 
The best expression of compassion is a listening ear. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Isn't that so true? Ask some questions about their story. And this discussion you're having with them, I mean, don't just listen to what is being said. Listen to what is not being said. Listen to stuff that's happening kind of under the surface. All right, their story. We're going to move on pretty quickly. Your story. I want you to, I want to suggest that you should know your story very well. Can I make a recommendation that you write your story down? Your story, your journey of faith. Be honest with it. Your, the failings, the mistakes, the, the difficulties you've had, the good times, the exciting times, the challenges, the real, the, the real fantastic results and where you are right now in your journey of faith. Spend some time writing it down. But you should be able to tell your story in two or three minutes. Well, and when you're telling your story, you may not get the chance to tell the whole story, but there'll be excerpts of it, which if you know your story very well, you can share with others when they've told their story. Then, of course, you've got to know his story. Know his story. Know the, God of, know the story of the God of history, from the tree in the garden to the tree in Revelation 22. Understand the Jesus story. Understand the reason for the cross, the sin, forgiveness, for grace. Remember that you are not to be judgmental, you're not to condemn, but you carry a message of grace. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18, we, uh, we, carry the, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Your story, or his story, when it is told, must be relevant. Okay. There are two sermons in the book of Acts which illustrate this really well. The relevance of when you tell the story, God's story, when you, when you relay that, it needs to be relevant. In Acts chapter 3, Peter is talking to the God-fearing Jews. Now they believed the Old Testament, they read the Old Testament, they knew that a Messiah was coming. And so Peter says to him, he says, you know, you know about creation, you know about Adam and Eve, you know about Moses and the law, you know about Abraham and all the prophets, you know there's a Messiah coming, but what you don't know is that Jesus was the Messiah. And, you know, you rejected him, you crucified him, and now you're in, you're in deep trouble and you need to repent. And, and many thousands did repent. So he was speaking to the Jews who knew everything about their religion. A few chapters over in chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the philosophers and kind of spiritual theorists at, at Athens. And... This Athens was a was a spiritual smorgasbord. You know, truth was relative. There was a there was a god on every street corner. In fact, I think one of the philosophers of the day said that there are more gods in Athens than men. And so, so here here was Paul speaking to these people of Athens who who didn't. I mean, Yahweh was just another god to them, and they didn't know Abraham from an abacus. You know, so. Paul was speaking to them, and, he, and how was he going to engage? How was he going to connect with his, with his audience? And so he notices a, uh, an altar on the side of the street, and on it there's an inscription that says, to the unknown God. 
And so he starts talking about the unknown God. And he says, would you like me to tell you about the unknown God? Now, what an awesome message. Now, he knew he wasn't in Jerusalem, and he had to connect with the Athenians. Now, I want to suggest that when we communicate the story of Jesus, we've got to make sure that we don't take an Acts 2 or an Acts 3 message and communicate it to an Acts 17 audience or person. You understand what I'm saying? Is that we are dealing with people who don't know the history, who don't know the, what the Jews in Jerusalem knew. We're talking with people who, who have many gods on their street corner, if you like. And we've got to make sure that when we talk about our faith, when we talk about this God of history, the past and the future, when we talk about Jesus, that it's in such a way that it is relevant and it can connect and engage with those that we are speaking with. Right. Can I... Um, so that's just kind of wrapping up that part of it. And I'm going to well try and weld these two together. That's the speaking speaking of the words of God to seeing the miraculous happen through us. I'm, I'm trying to, because I, often they do, even the story in Acts 3 is, is the picture of that because Peter's speaking that message after, of course, he has um, prayed, or not, he's actually told the, 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 the man, the paralyzed man, to get up and walk, which we'll look about that in a minute. But there's a welding together of speaking to people about Jesus and praying for them because often the prayer for people opens up stuff in, in, on conversation and discussion that a discussion in itself doesn't, you know, a heavy discussion doesn't get to. I think I'm going to hit on myself, but I'm okay though, I'm okay. <laughs> All right. When we're talking with people, remember this. We're appealing to the mind and to the emotions and the will. The mind of the person will say, this sounds right. This makes some sense for me. The emotion, the emotional response from the person will say, this feels good. And the will says, what do I do next? What do I have to do? What is the next step? And the aim of the conversation is always the next step. We always build a bridge to walk over the bridge. There's nothing less useful than a half-built bridge that goes nowhere. We build bridges in our conversation so that we can walk across and use and go the next step. Right, just look, look at, um, at how we can weld this together with, the, with experiencing the miraculous so that people can, can really experience the power of God. I haven't got the slide for this, but what I do have, these, I'll put some of these notes down this morning on a sheet of paper. If you want to pick them up at the back, um, afterwards you can, and uh, I think you'll find some of them quite helpful. In Acts 3, um, there is that story of, of Peter going to the temple, and there's the paralysed man there who's been left there every morning for his whole life, and he collects money as people go into the temple, and, and, and he's, Peter is there, and he says, Peter says, look, silver and gold have I none. But, but I will give you what I have, and that is, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. There's an interesting story about Thomas Aquinas, the theologian and priest of the, I think, the 12th or 13th century, wasn't he, Bruce? 
and he had a meeting with Pope Innocent. And he went to the meeting and Pope Innocent was counting money. And the Pope says to Thomas, he says, you know, we, we, the church no longer has to say, silver and gold, have I none? And Thomas responds to him and says, yes, but Holy Father, neither can the church say, rise up and walk. And I thought about that, that story and I thought, you know, what have we got? What have we gained over all these years in church life? And all the fantastic things that we experience and all the, the trappings, if you like, of good sound system and lighting and everything else and fantastic crowds and all that we've built into church. But what has been the loss? What has been the loss? What has been the cost in terms of the miraculous of being able to say, rise up and walk? And, you know, I long for the miraculous to be restored more in my life through me and more in your life through you. I know that each of us here have a longing to see the Spirit of God move in that way. And often we come here on a Sunday morning and we expect it here, and I do too. But, you know, what would thrill me the most is if I knew that there are 150 of us in the community and we were praying for people and seeing miracles happen. And then on a Sunday, we come back here and we tell awesome stories about the ripple effect, about what God has been doing. And there is a ripple effect, isn't there? Look at that woman at the well who, who goes back to the village and she says, come and listen to this man who's told me everything I ever did. And then the people came and many, many followed Jesus. I want us to get to the point, I'd just love to get us to the point where we can be free and praying for others on the street, in our workplaces, and just seeing the Spirit of God released. And then, oh, sharing the fantastic excitement of that as we get back together. Anyway, I'm, look, I'm like me. I'm going to share with you about 10 or 11 points. They're very brief. I'm sorry time's running out, but you've got to give me credit for going the distance this morning. Um, <laughs> sorry, dear. <laughs> there are a couple of things about me which I want to be really clear. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm not a theologian. I'm not trained in any way. I'm just your average builder. Okay, so there's nothing special about what I do. I just know that there is some history in my life and I've seen God work and I want to see that expressed and worked through in the lives of others as well. So I'm no different. I'm no different than many of you. And I'm, like many of you, I'm, I'm naturally very shy. I find it uncomfortable talking with people I don't know. For the first time, I find it really difficult talking with people that I, I just, I mean, I haven't even met your parents yet, have I? No, sorry. But, but I mean, I find it very, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, I find it very difficult even when we go out for, you know, like stuff at your school with other teachers. You know, I'm, I'm just naturally not like that. And yet, I've got to, I've kind of had to work through that so that I can be free enough to, to actually be able to pray for folk when I believe that they need prayer. So one-on-one talk with strangers is not easy for me. And I know it's probably not easy for some of you as well. And also, like you, I run this fine line between faith and unbelief. And there are many times when I go to pray for people, I say, God, I say, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. How many of you pray that prayer as well? I also walk this fine line between faith and afraid of looking stupid. 
of if this doesn't work, Lord, if this doesn't happen, what am I going to look like? What, am, what are people going to think about me, you know? So I'm like you in that instance as well. But I want to give you some hints that, that maybe help you because they help me. Firstly, understand that you're a conduit for the Holy Spirit to work through, not a pond in which he resides, okay? It's bursting. The Holy Spirit is bursting to be discharged through your life. If it's not discharged, it will stagnate. In fact, if you want to be continually filled by the Spirit of God, you need to have it released in your life. What does Proverbs 11 say? It says, if, um, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Isn't that right? If you want to, if you, want to you need to give. If, as we've received, we freely, we freely give. We're alive and we're filled with the Spirit of God for cultural transformation. We really are. So the first thing to realize is that understand that you're, that you're a conduit for the Holy Spirit to move, not a pond in which he resides. Allow the stream of God to be continually flowing through your life. Make sure you pray. Have a productive prayer life. A prayer life where every morning you say, God, I put myself on the altar. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Lay yourself on the altar, knowing that laying yourself on the altar is not a passive thing. It's not just... It's, it, it's a living sacrifice, and a living sacrifice is there for God to use during the day. End of Romans 12, the very last verse of Romans 12 says, how do you overcome evil? You overcome evil by doing good. Pray that God is going to use you during the day for doing good, for doing good. I pray every day for sad people, S-A-D, sick, afraid, and disappointed. Every morning I pray for sick, afraid, and disappointed people so that somehow the Spirit of God can work through me in words that are said and prayers that are prayed to bring life, to bring healing, to bring, to bring love, to bring peace, and to bring hope to those that, that God would lead me to. Thirdly, be naturally spiritual and spiritually natural. Don't try and be religious. Be yourself. Don't all of a sudden, when you start speaking with someone or praying for someone, think that you have to revert to King James English. Not necessary. I would advise that you speak in the language, in the culture that is most acceptable for the person you are, you are talking to. You, you know, God is multilingual. He doesn't, he doesn't need an interpreter. But if you speak in King James English to the person or pray with them that way, they may need an interpreter. All right? Be natural. Okay. Be careful of some of the language that you use. I remember a few years ago praying for someone on a building site and, they, and my eyes went, well, often when I pray my eyes aren't closed, and, they, and I could see as I was praying for this person, I prayed, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit fall down upon this person. And this person looked like this. Yeah, as if to, and I could almost see them grabbing for their hard hat, you know, as if they, the Holy Spirit was going to knock them on there. Be careful some of the language that you use. It might be familiar to us here, but it may mean something different out there as well. Okay, genuine compassion. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I had a, an occasion just two weeks ago where I was at a site, and this guy comes in, and um, he was obviously distressed, and I said, well, how are you? I'll call him Grant. 
and he said, uh, I'm not very, well, I'm okay, but my wife's been taken to hospital intensive care unit, and um, I've just come back from there, taken our child to, to, um, to daycare, and I'm at work for a couple of hours to see what I can do. And I said, well, let's pray for her, and it was called her name, Katie. So we prayed for Katie, and um, she'd had pneumonia, which had gotten, gone to complications, and uh, she was in intensive care. So we prayed, and there was nothing, there was, th- another builder was in the next room, and the place was framed out, the house was open, inside but the walls were up outside and this guy could see what was happening and so he came over and joined us he's not a christian guy but he stood in the doorway and joined us as, as i prayed and um anyway I just prayed a, a normal prayer of you know what you'd pray for in terms of healing and god really touching this this young lady's life and anyway i go back to the job last monday and before i got out of the truck he rushes over and he says he says you know trevor he says this might be this might be um this might be a coincidence. I love that phrase, eh? This might be a coincidence, but... And he, then he said, you know that wee prayer that you prayed last week? She, he said, well, I got, a, I got a phone call from the hospital two hours afterwards and they'd released her from intensive care. She got a lot better and she was home two days later. And I thought, fantastic, you know? Now that has... I'm talking about compassion because that opens up a discussion with that guy. Now, I could have arrived at that site on smoko time and sat down with the guys and there's three guys on the site that, at that stage and had a discussion about things like creation, evolution, homosexuality, the Bible, God, whatever. And often those sort of discussions get heavy and they get polarised and it's you say, me say, you're right, I'm wrong sort of thing. But, but when you come in with something like that, when you're praying for someone and it's, it's just a, a prayer and something happens, God works, it creates a discussion on a totally different level. Can you, do you see what I'm saying? And, and I want to suggest that rather than going into argue, and there's some stuff, I've seen some stuff on Shine TV where there's a guy who's always arguing, arguing his faith and he's great at apologetics, but that's all it is, you know. I'm thinking, you know, where's the compassion there and where's the, where's the life that's coming through and the openness from the other person to receive what God has for their life? So genuine compassion. Fifthly, it's not how big is your faith, but how big is your God. Be realistic. It's not about being successful, but it's about being faithful. Okay? Be perceptive. Perception that goes beneath the surface. Look for what is not being said. You need to dig a little bit deeper. Sometimes when people are talking about stuff before you pray for them, you dig a little bit deeper. And you find out there's other things happening as well in their life that also need prayer. Don't dig too deep. Be sensitive. Okay. If possible, have someone with you when you pray. Last week, there was um, someone came into our office, and, we, and I was I suggested to this person that we that we pray for them. They had a particular thing that we're going through. They're going through. So, as just before I started to pray, Mark Hamilton walked in as well, and. Um, Mark normally grabs my forehead and gives me a kiss right here. I said, Mark, not today. Um, so I said, Mark, how about, how about you coming? And we pray together with this guy. And so Mark knows the guy. And so we came to the office, shut the door, and we prayed for him. And Mark had an incredible word for the guy as he prayed. Now, that was encouraging to me. And I think it's good when you involve others in the prayer process, if you, if you can. You know, Just a natural part of us meeting together was praying for someone. Pray clearly, be specific, be accurate. 
Don't pray for stuff that may not be there. On Thursday, I was at another job, and one of the guys who works with us is, um, has been to a, the doctor and he's got some, some news that is not good in terms of possibly cancer. He's a young guy, 28. Um, but it hasn't been diagnosed yet. And so I offered to pray for him, but I was careful about what I prayed for. I wasn't praying for cancer because I didn't know there was, I didn't know there was an issue of cancer, but he was really fearful. And he, his mind was starting to play hopscotch on him and go to places it shouldn't go. And so he needed prayer on that kind of level for the peace of God to, to, to work in his life and to comfort him. And we had a great time. So just be careful what you pray for. Be careful. You, you need to be sensitive. Um, and don't go to places that are, that are off limits. Don't go to places that are off limits. Uh, years ago, I was, I was asked to go and pray for a young lady, 12-year-old, and the, the father had asked, or the parents had asked us to go and pray for her, and, and, um, and she'd had the flu or something like that. And as we, after we'd finished praying for her, the father, said, the father said to the young lady, would you like Trevor to pray for your constipation? And, and I, said, I said to the father, I said, listen, I pray for lots of things, but I don't do constipation. <laughs> seriously, seriously, why would a young lady open up about that? Seriously. So I basically said, that's your job. Do it. All right? So be sensitive. Be sensitive and know when not to pray. Know when it's someone else's job. All right? I know you're laughing. That did happen. That did happen. All right, second to last one, remember who you are not. Remember who you are not. Firstly, you are not a magician and you're not a showman. All right? You are not a showman. If you've got a, a white suit with wide lapels hanging up in your wardrobe, don't take it out and wear it when you're praying for people. Leave that to the man on the TV. You are not a showman. You're not a magician. You are there as God's representative. You are there to do his work. You are a clay vessel in which dwells this exquisite, rich treasure. Okay? Secondly, you are not a doctor. Be wise in your comments. Never suggest that someone gives up their meds. The guy that I prayed for a guy a couple of years ago on a building site in Wellington when we were there, took him behind the block wall and prayed for him. He was actually due to go to a consultant a couple of days later. And he said to me after we prayed, he said, do you think I should still go to the appointment I have on whenever it was, Wednesday or Thursday? I said, yeah, sure, you need to go. You need to get clarification if anything's happened. And anyway, it just so happened that he was checked out by the consultant and he's been, he's been free ever since of this condition. It was awesome, you know, but it wasn't for me to say that. It's for him to get authentic um, confirmation that, that on a medical basis that he has been, in his words, he said he's been cured, okay? Never suggest someone comes off their meds or doesn't go to the doctor. And also remember that you're not God. So you're not a showman, you're not a magician, you're not a doctor, and you're not God. You're his representative and you don't have the final say. Your role is to be faithful to what God asks you to do. Just remember that you have access to what others desperately need. One beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. You're a clay vessel. 
And inside is this exquisite, rich, priceless treasure. You're the pot, he's the power. All right? Number 11, last one. The crowds, the crowd or the influence is bigger than you think. I, it's a woman at the well story where the, where the woman goes back and she grabs the people from the village and many follow Jesus. Come and meet the man that knew everything about me. Some years ago, I think I might have told the story here, 20 years ago, I prayed for this young, for this, I went to a house for a job. The guy wasn't home. The lady was home. She said, would you like to have a cup of tea? She was boiling the jug. The young baby, who would have, toddler who would have been 12 or 14 months, reached up and grabbed the jug cord at the corner of the bench, pulled it down, boiling hot water all over her. And the mother was a nurse. She knew the ramifications of this. She just screamed, turned the kitchen tap on and put the baby in the cold water. I, my reaction was to pray and I prayed. And several nights, or that, that night I actually got a call from the husband who was late, who I never met, who said, thanks very much, there is not a mark on the young lady, the young girl. And I met this guy. This is the story I love. I met this guy 20 years later in business. He now runs a business in Upper Hutt. And he says, I remember you. He said, you came to her house and you prayed for, when she got, when she got um, scolded by the hot water. She says, he says, we talk about that every birthday she has. He said, she's now at Christ, in Christchurch Uni. But he says, whenever we meet and have her birthday, a part of the history of her life that we talk about as a family is when the stranger came into our home and prayed for her, and there was not a mark left from her body. The ripples and, the, and where this can go in our community is just awesome. And I want to suggest, folks, we need to get there, don't we? We need to go there and just believe what God has placed within us and bring life to others as well. Bruce and, and uh, Jesse have both talked about us being prophets Prophets in the workplace, sorry, priests, haven't you? Priests in the workplace and priests in our home. To be a representative to God for the people that we love and we care for. I want to suggest as well as being priests, we need to be prophets as well. A priest is a representative between the people we love and God. A prophet brings the word of God to the people. And I want to suggest that that's where we need to go. Next week, we're going to have some stories of folk who have been involved with talking and praying and doing stuff in the community. And you might be shoulder tapped during this week, or if you've got a story that you want to share next week, just give Jesse a call, give the officer a call, or Bruce, and uh, we'd love to have your story shared with us next week. How God has been at work through your life, just us as clay vessels, affecting and influence in the lives of others around us. We do that next week? Shall I pray? Right. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're a good God, that you've chosen to live within us. You've chosen to dwell within us. You've given us the, the privilege of knowing you, but Lord, there is a privilege of, of making your name known to others as well, of getting your life out there, of expressing your goodness and your and the way that you have changed us to the, to the people that we know as well. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness. I pray this week, Lord, you'd give us courage. 
to realize that the power of God is available to us, enabling and equipping us, empowering us to be all that you want us to be, to speak all that we all need to speak, to lay hands on people and to see them healed. Lord, to see the miraculous happen through us, we pray that you would give us a courage and a strength and equipping that we haven't received before. Lord, we just ask that you would... Can I just ask us all to stand as we, as we finish off? I don't know, Jesse might have something to say afterwards, but can we just stand together? Can we just... just um, if any of you need prayer, if anybody would like prayer for, for boldness and for courage and for strength, just put your hands up now. And just, you know, there is someone that you want to speak with this week, someone you want to pray for, God has laid on your heart. And just can, can we gather around those who put their hands up and any others who, who just want courage and say, God, I know your spirit's within me and I know that I speak in tongues, but I want to groan also with the, with the pains and the hurts of the lives of others and the yearnings of others as well. Just put your hand up and we'll pray for you. You just gather around, just move from where you are. If you see if someone's hand up, just just gather around them and pray for them. Can we do that? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the power of the Spirit. We thank you for what you've given us, and we thank you for the truth of Scripture that that you are an enabling and an equipping and empowering God. And we pray, Lord, that that today we make a we make a statement in our lives that what you've given us is not just for ourselves. It is not just bread that we keep to ourselves while the others die in hunger. It is not just something that we lavish and, and, and enjoy our luxury, but it is a bread that we want to give to others. And Lord, as we take hold of all that you've given us, with the power that you've given us to, to, to adequately equip us for this task at hand, we pray that this week we would see changes in our lives. We pray that you would give us a, a courage and a boldness Lord, help us to do things. Help us to go places we haven't gone before. Lord, we pray against any fear, any, any unbelief that we would have. And we just ask that you would, you would enable us this week to do things for you that are out of the ordinary, extraordinary events happening through the lives of ordinary folk. Be with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.